Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. Welcome back to Keep It. Jesus has risen this week. And no, I'm not talking about the actual Jesus. I'm talking about the Real Housewives of New York are back. Kara. <laughs> oh, is that what you were talking about? <laughs> I mean. I'm just very excited about this week. Before we get into the news, I just want to say for our fans who listen Ooh. and love Bravo, we're excited this along with you. This season is going to be unbelievable. It's going to be amazing. There's the funeral, Bobby's funeral with Bethany and Jill making their, they're confronting each other. They went on some insane trip where they all like got stuck on a boat, something crazy. Like it's. Luann was arrested. Luann was arrested. In Palm Beach. Goes to rehab. Oh my God. I understand the concept of Bethany and I support what I understand of that. She's sort of like if, like, like if Julie Bowen were even whip smarter (laughs) and was quippier. Did I get it? <laughs> you totally got it, Louis. Okay, good. <laughs> All right, but on a serious note, uh, this week we will be talking about Stacey Dash's <laughs> campaign going down in flames. I wish I was dead. Uh, <laughs> we'll talk about Grinder selling their users' HIV statuses to third parties, and then we're going to dive into the Roseanne reboot, America's favorite television show. But before we get to that, it's April and March Madness is over. And Ugh. I know Kara has what no a, what a month it's been for us. Okay, here's the thing: March Madness. I don't know who started it, but there was this trend that emerged of people doing brackets for different things that they loved. So they would do like Mariah Carey albums and the best Madonna single and things like that. And it was cute. However, none of you seem to understand how a damn bracket works because it's not just randomly throwing names in. The ranking is an integral part of a bracket because you had these matchups of like Mariah's best two songs in the first round. And clearly, I get it because I'm guessing someone who would take the time to make like a Lady Gaga single bracket is not a frequent March Madness viewer. (laughs) (laughs) What a social scientist you are. Um, but it was driving me crazy because it's guys, the first the you have to rank them <laughs> in order of like best to worst or, you know, number, you know, the highest single sold and the least singles or single sold. And then you match them up accordingly. So the first round should be, in theory, the quote unquote best one or the highest selling one with the lowest one. You can't ask people to decide between like Heartbreaker and Honey in the first round. It's madness. That's really stupid. The most egregious example I saw of that was a RuPaul's Drag Race bracket where just in the first bracket it was Alaska who was like the best drag queen the show's ever had versus Adore, another best queen the show's ever had. And then the next one down is like queens who have bad puns for names like, you know, <laughs> Penny Tration versus <laughs> Vivian Penney. Mm-hmm. I will say that I took a lot of time and effort into my Janet Jackson one that I made. It's the only one I made. Oh, duh. And I seeded it properly. Yes, because it matters, because it's not a bracket if the seeding doesn't make any sense. Wait, what one yours? It wasn't if? Uh, no, it was... Not you want The this? Pleasure Principle. Oh, Pleasure Principle, that's a good one. Yeah, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I, also, I think Control should be top five, too. Yeah. It's, it established who she was. That's beautiful. And the bigness of her shoulder pads and hair. <laughs> We're talking about March Madness brackets because none of us really want to talk about Stacey Dash <laughs> this week. But luckily, it may be the last time Hallelujah. Dash is out of the race in California's 44th Congressional District in a statement that she released exclusively to Cosmo. Cosmo's first political exclusive, <laughs> I'm sure, ever. In her statement to Zappos. <laughs> she said... At this point, I believe that the overall bitterness surrounding our political process 
participating in the rigors of campaigning and holding elected office would be detrimental to the health and well-being of my family. Girl, you didn't raise any money. <laughs> yeah. That's why your ass is dropping out. Please. Holding office would be detrimental to the health of my family. You know this what happens when you run and you didn't win, re- Yeah, right? you didn't realize that when you decided to run? It just hit you? It's almost like this was imp- an impetuous thing she did to maybe get a little bit of traction for her, shall we say, faltering career, and it didn't work out. I don't know. This is my wild guess. She's never done anything like this before. What did she think she was going to get out of this? Like, last long enough to release a book about five weeks on the campaign trail? <laughs> she wants the role of the principal in the Clueless TV reboot, and we don't even have that yet. So, good try. Stacy. You know, I'm really happy, I mean, obviously, mainly because I... Uh, was worried I might like develop a drinking problem if I had to sit and sit through an entire. Can you imagine a Stacy Dash campaign, like months of this? No, because it's like first of all, she also kept yammering on about how she wanted to defeat quote unquote plantation politics, and I really did not. What? Yes, that's the term that she and these other light and lovelies um, like to say about um, black Democrats. The fact that they just keep taking what the Democrat Party serves to them like they're on a plantation. Oh, girl. That doesn't, that analogy doesn't even quite work. <laughs> GOP stands for Grand Omarosa Party and she is an active member. Do you remember, oh, were you from the Brie at last? Jesus. I know, I right. I forgot about that. Yeah, she's gone too. Um, There's also this idea that she brings up about the quote-unquote bitterness of politics, you know, and it's weird for her to voice that, but it feels like something that is, you know, going to be a hurdle for real candidates. Well, you contributed to the bitterness in politics, girl, so it's also a little rich coming from her where you worked at an organization that just spews idiocy and lies and bigotry and you were on air for years saying things that made all of this more bitter and drove people apart so I I find her now getting upset about the bitterness of politics quite rich also I mean do you think one thing that leads to the bitterness is naked opportunism like she has exhibited for years and years being like the one black woman ever on Fox News and taking that slot, you know, because they wouldn't they wouldn't refuse to let her on air for that reason, you know. And not just that, but the fact that she was always wasn't just like a person who I dislike Obama on Fox News, which is fine, you know. I'm pretty sure that exists somewhere in some black people. Um <laughs> I'm surprised she hasn't landed on like a housewivesy type situation. That does seem sort of right for her. No, but cuz you know what though? I feel like that'd be a hard sell to the group because she would be on a black show and because they still kind of group them all together and I don't see any of those black women being like oh yeah cool we'll (laughs) we'll record with this woman not at all if they let anybody you know darker than a paper bag on the OC then maybe she could join (laughs) that show they're all Trump supporters that's true that is true oh grim what's next for Stacey is she joining Omarosa on a reality show I'm, I'm, Are they you going know on what? vacation? Like um, Nicole in Paris? Like a road trip? <laughs> <laughs> the simple life? Actual simple, though. Can we produce that? Oh, I want her to be like eighth build on a VH1 show again. I do miss that for her. Girl, no. No. Get to step in. Ninth Bye. build. No. Thirteenth build. <laughs> Dolly grip on a VH1 show. <laughs> on, a, on a pop TV show. Oh, yeah. don't diss pop TV. They do good work with Big Brother After Dark. I love pop TV. Shit's Creek airs on it. That's true. That's true. All right. Some other network. All right. Yeah. I am worried, though, because now you're right. Like, she doesn't have a job, I assume. And she's such. No, because like, she got t- kicked off of Fox News yeah. after Trump won. Yeah. They just wanted her there while Obama was president so that she could spew her you know like pseudo racist shit and and she needs attention like the rest of us need oxygen so it's like she must have there's going to be something else right that she's going to be doing and that's the only thing that worries me like what other way is she going to find to ruin my day i never know what she's up to you know she's had me blocked for like three years i (laughs) congratulations thank you you got your three-year chip yeah (laughs) i have another fun 
blocky that I'll bring up later in the show. Okay. Oh. Yeah. Wow. You can probably guess it's not that hard to figure Oh, okay. Out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when we come back, Kara's favorite topic, grinder. <laughs> As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made In Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made In. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made In Cookware. Shop chef-quality pots and pans at madeincookware.com. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see footprints in the sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? <laughs> no? Uh, if you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite Lux home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And I am the coziest a human being can be. Because by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's like pretty mild outside and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams' soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR and how I live my life every day. Oh, I'm glad to bear witness to it. <laughs> Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of a struggle. It sounds like you at Coachella. I'm already tuned in. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire... Michelle Obama to reparations. There's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. Black perspectives have it always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced and black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Doesn't the black experience sound like a three-disc Prince album we never got? Someone check the vault, please. <laughs> Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. This week, BuzzFeed reported that the gay hookup app Grinder, um, which has more than 3.6 million daily active users across the world, has been providing its users HIV statuses to third parties. Two companies, Optimize and Localistics, which help optimize the apps and give them information about their users, now have access to not only people's HIV statuses, but also their GPS data, their phone ID, and email. Oof. And people are reasonably upset about it. I feel like I'm going to walk outside and just like a bunch of gay agents will be tracking my every move, like, <laughs> like I'm on damages. But there's also the question, um, isn't sharing your data just sort of like part of the internet now? Yeah, it feels unfortunate in that like that's sensitive information that's being shared, but like a lot of us are probably sharing sensitive information and we don't even realize it. 
on a regular basis. Like I feel like I keep coming across these threads where they're like, Facebook literally knows every phone call you've had in the past three years. And it's one of those things that I think we all kind of know in the back of our mind, but to think about it too much just gets super depressing. And because then it's like, I can't even, I don't, I can't even do anything. And also we never just thought, there'd be news stories just confirming it. You know what I mean? We thought we could basically avoid that. This Grindr story is something I'm still kind of wrapping my head around. I think maybe it's important to point out it's not like they're selling it to advertisers or something like way Orwellian, but what is occurring is just one of those things that feels unseemly. Right, because they're technically admitting that it's taking our information, putting it in like this database, and passing it over somewhere, which means that the information is collected somewhere mm-hmm. and that it could reasonably be hacked, I suppose. It's, right. You know, right. The, mm-hmm. the transfer of it from party to party means that it could be hacked. But also this is information that, unfortunately, like people are willingly right. submitting, right. you know? Yeah. It's not like they're stealing it from your doctor. It's not a requirement, right, to no. sign up for the app? No. Yeah. Okay. But also it is- Actually, almost- you know- <laughs> Sometimes, you know, to get two free drinks at the Abbey, you have to sign up. And I felt forced. Really? <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like the profile on Grinder, I mean, filling out as much information as you can is just helpful for being on the app. It's part of being social. It's one of those things you thought you could do in a benign sort of way. I mean, the list of things you can contribute is crazy. It's like it starts with body and ethnicity and height. And I, I think by the end, it's like, Candace Bergen has five Emmys. How many do you think she should have? I said three. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that they would sell that information to a third party is disgusting. Does this have shades of the whole Facebook drama or is this like being overblown? I think we everyone is giving our information away all the time. And it's just now, like Lewis said, like it's being confirmed in a really obvious way. And I'm not sure, you know, people are deleting their Facebooks and I'm kind of, but weirdly to me at least, I'm like, it feels like the damage is done. Like there's so many things that I have given my information to and I would, there's so many apps and, and parties and websites, like the idea of going back and deleting all of that, it's just, there's, it's not possible. Yeah, right. I'm in it. That's, yeah, that's where I live. I yeah. can't, right, yeah. this, this is my, t- my condo. <laughs> I can't imagine doing anything else within the next like 30 years that's like, oh, let me get rid of Facebook so I can't find out this. Yeah. I mean, you, they, they know my phone number. They've they had me I've since lived. college. They've been pretty- <laughs> They know everything. Can I tell you something though? If it came down to everybody d- deleted Grinder or something, that would be hard for me. I really do would love Grinder. <laughs> I do a lot of good work there. <laughs> I think there's something valuable about it. I mean, it's a system that tells you where all the available and horny gay people are in the area. I'm sorry, that's crucial information both to my well being and the community at large, I find. You know, is my former coworker who winked at me sometimes 4,000 feet away? He is. And I feel good about it. <laughs> Listen, there's also the question that this is what you have to do on dating apps, too. You know, yeah, that's are we are like we you sort of have to give everything because we're now in a point where people want to know not just Facebook or like the apps in general, like or a third party. It's the party that you want to talk to wants to know everything about the person that they're talking to before you even meet. That's why it feels like the grinder story, because people on Tinder you know, like straight people on Tinder are giving away tons of information. And so for this, it's like this is information that maybe on another app you're not giving, but everyone's information is still being shared anyway. And so it feels like like this story of, oh, my gosh, this is like something that's in particular very sensitive when there's other sensitive information that's being given away. It's just that's not what Tinder is asking people. So mm-hmm. it's sort of everyone should be like. Oh my God! If you know Grinder is doing this, but they're doing it on OKCupid okay also, mm-hmm. people. It's just not something that they're necessarily thinking about. Well, the pretense of OKCupid okay is love, <laughs> which I find stupid. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I will say, um, I, I think Grinder in general has done a lot to destigmatize um, HIV, which is, you know, I think something all gay people are thinking about constantly. So the fact that there's this breach or this news story, it is it does feel like a slap in the face to that kind of 
progress, though. Well, is it like a setback, particularly for Grindr, because it's been positioning itself such as this pro-LGBTQ mm-hmm. company? You know, they launched a online magazine called Into, which is, you know, hired a lot of LGBTQ writers, you know, and it covers not just gay men, but, you know, gay women and trans issues and um, HIV issues, you know. So it's really been trying to shift its image from being, oh, you know, this is a place where, you know, you can find somebody to fuck at Gelson's um, (laughs) to, oh, this is an app that also can inform me about queer people around the world and how we interact with each other. And this breach has just sort of made people be like, oh, that's what the app is for, and now I don't trust it. Now I'm thinking about a version of Supermarket Sweep where you have to go into a Gelson's and then find a place to fuck and have nobody find you. And you have <laughs> and you have like two minutes. And then you get $5,000, and it airs on the PAX network. Hosted by Stacey Dash. That's right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when we're back, ABC's reboot of the classic 90s sitcom, Roseanne. Roseanne is back on the air, and the ratings are massive. They are so good that Donald Trump himself called Roseanne to congratulate her on the ratings, because that's all he cares about. How many widows, army widows, (laughs) do you think haven't received a call from that man, and Roseanne got a phone call? They're like shooting victims who have not received, like, their families from the many mass shootings we've had over the last few months, who I guarantee have not received calls from that man. And this bitch gets a phone call. I do find him inconsiderate, I do have to say. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Conservatives are excited. Even some liberals are very excited because they are frothing at the mouth all the time over anything that they can say, quote-unquote, covers both sides of the aisle. And um, that's what people are claiming that the Roseanne reboot does. It is bringing the family back, and it's in the present, and it's still dealing with being a struggling working-class family in America. Only this time, Roseanne is a Trump voter. I think that's why everyone loves it. You know, the thing for me, just aside from whatever she's saying about Trump and sort of painting the Hillary versus Trump thing in such a reductive, simplistic way. The thing that makes me most irritated is the fact that it's continuing to enforce the idea that working class white people are one, the ones that propelled Trump to the White House and that the average working class person looks like this. Like by 2032, our working class will be majority minority. And so you already like this is not representative uh, really of where the working class population is headed. It's not representative of Trump voters. Trump voters were people you had a lot of highly educated people, people with college degrees. You had wealthy people like Hillary won a larger percentage of the vote of people making less than $30,000 a year. So again, it's this like it's the same just like those dumb New York Times features on like these steel workers and wherever and oh, they thought Trump would help him out. It's like, that's not who put him in office. Right. Stop living in this like Norman Brockwell portrait of what a, like, a working class person looks like. I think you're right. This show sort of reemphasizes that this is what uh, Regular real, people, real yes. people look like. And it's like, well, that's a mysteriously white representation of reality. Yes. Particularly because ABC has called this their quote unquote heartland strategy and Ben Sherwood, the president of Disney and AVC's TV group, in an interview said that the whole team looked at each other after Trump won and said, there's a lot about this country we need to learn more about here on the coasts. And then apparently they began asking themselves um, which audiences they weren't serving well, and they decided to go, you know, for their heartland strategy, which means they looked around when Trump won and were like, oh, we need to appeal to white people more right. who voted to Trump. Also, Just say it. Also, more people voted for Hillary Clinton. <laughs> Just like numbers-wise, more people in this country voted for Hillary Clinton. So one, this continued idea that you have to like, he's the president, this is who everyone wanted, is just not true. 
And then the other side of it is the fact that there are so many shows about like working class white people are like Kevin James has been on television for like 50 years playing the same person like there are so many sitcoms that appeal to this demographic that have been on the air forever. And so the idea that like the heartland doesn't have its content like CBS doesn't exist. I fear what this means for our relationship with Jeff Foxworthy, which I feel will intensify (laughs) in the next few years. But I'm excited for what it means about a relationship with Brett Butler. Because God, I miss her. (laughs) I think ABC started looking around being like, "Mm, our most popular shows are Shonda Rhimes shows and Blackish and Fresh Off the Boat. And they were like, people are starting to remember us for this, you know, instead of. (laughs) Which um, is horrible. I know, right? I think it speaks also to. I think people outside of Hollywood, or at least there's something I thought before I started working in Hollywood, it's like these are the people creating the culture. But Hollywood is so reactive. The people who are making a lot of the decisions, you know, for as much as we're talking about how diversity in television is growing, the people making the decisions really look the same as they've always looked. And it's a company, and you know, they're, they're trying to turn a profit, so you understand why they would be risk averse. But when you're talking about something creative, I think we forget how we don't think of risk averse and creativity necessarily as going hand in hand. And so with all of these reboots, with the Roseanne thing, it's like, of course, that was going to do well. And they're not thinking like, how do we move the conversation forward? You know, how do we reimagine the idea of television and the stories that we're telling? It's a lot of it is just a bottom line thing. And there's just not that kind of concern or vision from the people who get to decide what goes on television. Do you know what I think about with reboots a lot is I think the reason a lot of this stuff is rebooted is people actually just don't like learning new names. I think <laughs> I think I think when new TV shows, new movies come out, they are in- it feels like homework to have to get into it. I think about this a lot weirdly. When I was in college, I was talking to Kara about this earlier. I was an RA, and we had movies at the front desk you could I rent out. I could not imagine I, that. Th- it was a scam. I did it for the money. <laughs> anyway, just know that. But at the front desk, this girl came up one time and she got a movie and she goes, oh, I've seen this. It was like Sex in the City, the movie or something. She's like, I've got it. I've seen this seven times. I'm like, oh, interesting. She goes, yeah, I only rent movies I've seen before. I was like, what? that is, I was like, first of all, how? I mean, <laughs> let's take that back to the beginning. When did you actually start watching new movies then? But man, people love stuff they're already familiar with. That's just the truth of it, I think. Also, I just want to say about Roseanne being popular. I think she is somebody who since her show went off the air and her talk show went off the air, which I thought was kind of good at the time, she by the way. She had a talk show? Yes. It was oh, pretty yes. good. Yeah. She was like kind of suited for that, right? It was the better version of the Caroline Ray show. <laughs> there will be no dissing of Caroline Ray here. My favorite upper right square on Hollywood Squares. <laughs> no, but I think people don't realize that Roseanne is a 10 on the lunatic fringe She's spectrum. Ins- right. It's like saying, oh, Andrew Cunanan's a little unhinged. I mean, it's like, no, there's something so crazy about where she went, as in it's a departure from where she was when she was on the show. Now she's like full Pizzagate, full Islam equals Nazism, just things that don't make any sense, like 4chan um, She's the one who blocked up. me, by the way. Oh, she did? She blocked me a, um, one, a, like, a year ago. Well, you worked for Jezebel, of course, so no, you were in was, the crosshairs. No, you know why she blocked me? Because she tweeted one day, like, I got hot sauce in my bag. And I was like, girl, please. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you be out here quoting Beyonce like you care about black people or le- like anything. And um, then she blocked me. <laughs> No, she's the kind of person that's, five years that's, ago. That's fair. Should, should we put bees I actually, in her mentions? Yeah, I I deserved it. I mean, I get it. Why do you look? And then when you find out that she's a lunatic, you're like, oh, okay. Well, that's the thing, too, that she used to always be sort of a controversial, like, pushing the edge comedian. Yeah, the um, national anthem singing, et cetera. Yeah, yeah where she, quote, unquote, sang I'm saying quote, unquote, a lot today. I don't know what's going on. You're a on. journalist, honey. You know what? I'm a girl Friday. She did the national anthem where she was grabbing her crotch and just basically being abysmal, but not as abysmal um, as that, you know, kneeler, Colin Kaepernick. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, That's much less disrespectful <laughs> yeah. to the anthem. She used to be that kind of person, but now a lot of people are talking about reboot aside, should we even be supporting this show? Because if we're not going to support the Woody Allens and the Harvey Weinsteins of the world. Like, should we be supporting someone who pushes Pizzagate and is pretending Hillary Clinton, you know, was running a pedophilia ring? Someone who denigrates feminists and trans people and people who are Islamic. 
basically anyone who is a sane person she hates. Right. No, I think people associate her with someone like this is the first name that came to mind, Dennis Miller, who became a little bit of a Republican diehard. But she is well beyond that, like well, like personally targeting people. Again, you talked about Twitter. She's the kind of person you don't want in your Twitter mentioned because she's the people who follow her are super, you know, obsessively fringy and weird. She's unhinged in that way. It makes sense that like Trump called her to congratulate her because he retweets like memes of crazy fringe people whenever they post a photo of like CNN getting killed or like someone throwing Hillary Clinton off of a building, you know, and Roseanne is exactly like that kind of person to him. When you watch her Twitter feed, just like what she tweets during the day, it's lunacy. It will be interesting to see because you know everyone at ABC, you know, I'm sure they're obviously thrilled with the ratings, but you know they know what she's doing is unacceptable. And so it will be interesting to see if there is any pullback of, you know, where they're like, you can't keep doing this because she is coming out the gates so hot and insane and you wonder if it's just going to get worse and the show gets more popular and she gets crazier. That's actually a problem for ABC. So I wonder how, I wonder if she's just really feeling herself because, you know, she's sort of like, fuck you to all the haters and the show is doing well and and all of that. Maybe Um, she does have hot sauce in her bag. You know? (laughs) I I doubt it, but... (laughs) God, I would watch a documentary about all the other cast members in that show texting each other about whether or not they should do it. I want to know. Because Lori, you're telling me Lori Metcalf and Sarah Gilbert are sitting there like, no, this is completely normal what has happened to our one-time friend, Roseanne, who again has had some sort of like schism-like break since the show. I guess my final um, thought on this is, do we see this 90s nostalgia ending like anytime soon? And do we see it veering towards non-white shows. Right. I, I'm not a big... I don't really like reboots. I don't like remakes. I don't really love sequels. Like, I've never... Partly because I feel like it keeps new writers and new voices and new ideas from getting any space in culture. It's just the same people. It's You know the writers who came back for Roseanne? Those weren't, like, young, up-and-coming, fresh voices. Those were the same people who had been doing this forever. Um, but if we're gonna keep doing it, can we get a living single reboot, please? Ooh. You know, I would actually like a crossover. Here we go. Are you ready? First of all, Jack A from 227, of course. You Sandra. and Jack A. Well, she's the best. <laughs> just we're gonna put that Is she paying your rent? Right. Okay, <laughs> Jack A, Jasmine Guy. From a different world. Oh, we know who Jasmine Guy is. And, yeah. and I want and I want a uh, Karen Parsons from the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Those three characters should have a show. I want those. They they live together. They're all Are like they 51. playing the characters like they're she's playing Whitley. Yes, yeah. Okay. It's Whitley, Hillary, and Sandra. Okay. Sandra's here. <laughs> the, would, this I should would, fill you with endorphins. I would, I would take a sister sister reboot. Oh yeah, no, it, that's happening, isn't it? Wasn't it allegedly being set up with Tia and Tamara and the secret fourth, third, and fourth one? <laughs> I don't I'd take a smart guy reboot to oh, be yeah. honest. Like just give me give me a little color. I'd even take like reboots of those also rans that were on UPN. Oh, maybe like an Eve reboot. Yeah. <laughs> do you remember Spark- that she had her oh show? yes. Do you remember like a... Sparks? Yeah, I do. <laughs> By the way, I just heard the song Gangsta Eleven for the first time in a while yesterday, Eve featuring Elisa Keys. That song is good, y'all. <laughs> I think that is a good point to take a break. <laughs> Now that we've discussed Roseanne and the show's relationship to the modern Trump supporter, we wanted to talk to Anna Marie Cox, host of the podcast With Friends Like These. With Friends Like These is back with season two, and Anna is kicking things off with a two-part audio doc on CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference, to learn about the future of the conservative movement. So we were just talking about Roseanne on the show and how that relates to the modern Trump supporter, And I know that you went to the Conservative Political Action Conference this year, and I wanted to know, did you learn anything about new young conservatives in the Trump era that you were surprised to find out? I don't know how much they reflect the Roseanne demographic, except in their Trump support. Mm -hmm. You know, in order to go to CPAC, like you have to have some comfort in your life, you know? Okay. Like, I don't think it's a thing that, while it's cheap for students to do, you do have to be in college. So there's already, like, some privilege happening, right? 
Yeah. Uh, so I don't think these are necessarily working class people. Well, and that's the thing, too. Um, we were talking so much about the fact that the show depicts the working class Trump voter and it continues to push, you know, that media narrative that this is who voted for Trump and this is who the, you know, Republican Party yeah. is at large. And yet, you know, you see the people who, as you said, you know, had the privilege to go to the CPAC and you look at the people who really are sort of keeping men like Trump in power, it tends to not be that heartland. That's right. That we yeah, think it's not it. it's not the heartland. It's actually like coastal elites, and it's it's rich white people, you know. Um, and and actually, I don't know if you saw, but there was this week a uh, Pew released a study that went back and redid the exit polls, um, reexamined exit polling from 2016, and it turns out that all of the exit polls radically underestimated how many working class white people voted for Democrats. Working class white people are actually the largest percentage of the Democratic electorate. It's 33% of Democrats and Democratic leaners are white people with college degrees. That actually outnumbers how many of their demographic is people of color without college degrees, which is only 28%. And it's more than the number of white people with college degrees, which is 26%. So you know what? Working class white people are voting and leaning demographic. And I think that that just, it's just like people just don't believe that. They have this image in their mind that the classic Trump supporter is an ignorant, poor white person. Mm -hmm. And it's not. It, they may be ignorant, but, <laughs> but, but they're not poor. Um, they're not poor. Which makes sense because, uh, you know, the Roseanne reboot was presenting her, you know, as a Trump supporter, I feel like, in name only. You know, she mm -hmm. she's otherwise this very progressive liberal person who cares about her health care, who cares about her grandson, who's gender fluid. You know, the ideals and everything that's presented in the show are really just someone who's struggling to get by in the middle of America, you know, which I feel right. like a lot of people can relate to. And I feel like people are overestimating the audience that came in droves to watch it um, what their political leanings are. Oh, I definitely think they are. And I also think that it's somewhat insulting to think that someone who's struggling in America, as so many people are, would necessarily gravitate to Trump and stay there. Mm -hmm. You know, I can understand the narrative that did happen, which is there were a lot of working class white people who were frustrated with the way things are, rightly so, and who maybe stayed home or maybe voted for Trump out of frustration. But I think that to think that they are all part of that 35% who's going to be with Trump you know, even when he rips off the mask to reveal he's a lizard person. I don't know if that's necessarily true. I, I think this whole Roseanne thing, I mean, she's obviously, for one, like just personally crazy, right? So. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she just, is. There's that. She is super, <laughs> super villain in a Bond movie um, off her rocker. Uh, yeah, Pizzagate, QAnon, all that <laughs> bullshit. Um, so there's there's her, but let's just bracket that off. I feel like the whole thing that this show presented is actually like this comforting kind of narrative that a lot of liberal media elites have already bought into, mm -hmm. you know, that they want to believe. And then basically for ratings, you know, basically to like, hey, what if it was a Trump supporter who also loved her gender fluid grandson? You know, does that blow your mind? <laughs> right. Because you then get conservatives who can be like, look, we're not all awful. Or you can get conservatives who are upset about that depiction. And then you also get liberal people who are like, well, that's not a Trump supporter to me. Or people who can be like, oh, look, we're seeing both sides of the aisle. you know. And I feel like that's just what this whole media narrative has been since the election. You know, The New York yeah. Times is writing these heartland stories, I feel like, not because anyone actually believes it. You know, They're writing it because they know that hate shares are still shares. I mean, I think it's definitely like sort of just liberal media elite bait, which everyone has taken. The Roseanne show was almost designed in a lab to be catnip for trend stories and for media elites to talk about and for people to, you know, buzz about at the water cooler, even though I'm not sure how well it reflects real life. And meanwhile, like there are this like crop of shows about people of color that are gaining traction and that have real critical 
things to say and also are just interesting shows that we haven't seen before, you know, shows like Atlanta. And I wonder why we're not talking more about that, especially since like that's the audience and that's the section of America that's like growing and that is going to be more and more powerful as you know the decades roll on and going to be more and more part of popular culture, whereas Roseanne is literally a throwback. Yeah. And, you know, it's also the idea that the politics that are presented in Roseanne aren't really that wild and, you know, pushing the envelope as people think they are. Because if ABC was really interested in doing that, they would have aired the blackish episode that had a debate on, you know, kneeling during the anthem. You know, they're not really interested in sparking political conversation in America. They're interested in those nostalgia views. Right. In a weird way, I feel like Roseanne is like the equivalent of The Atlantic hiring Kevin Williamson. <laughs> like, I, like, I know that Kevin Williamson is like a highbrow theater critic who hates Trump. So he's in a way he's like he's like the mirror image Roseanne. But mm-hmm. it's the same like kind of like craven, you know, push for publicity and also fake ideological diversity. Mm-hmm. Right. Like real ideological diversity would be things like having that blackish episode on kneeling. Like real ideological you know, diversity would be having more democratic socialist columnists, you know, in, in mainstream newspapers, because that's also a segment of the population that's growing. Yeah. Um, Roseanne, again, I can't get over how it's like not just a throwback and that it's a reboot, but like that way of looking at American politics is a throwback. You exactly. know, the lenses that are used on that show are not the lenses that most people are using anymore. I want to thank you so much for stopping on the show. Well, thank you for having me. Any any time, my friend. Any time. That was Anna Marie Cox, host of With Friends Like These. Her show comes out every Friday, and she currently has a two-part series on the Conservative Political Action Conference. And there are some great interviews from past episodes you should check out, like a convo with former white supremacist Christian Piccolini, an interview with Ijeoma Oluo about her book, So You Want to Talk About Race, and obviously the episodes I'm on. We'll be right back with Keep It. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made in Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made In. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made in Cookware. Here you are, BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. When it comes to scents, you should pick ones that smell like, well, you. Target gets it, which is why they offer a range of personal care products with fragrances for everyone. Be true to floral you with Dove Peony and Rose Body Wash. Live your fresh life with Degree Ultra Clear Deodorant. Express your decadent side with Love Beauty and Planet Coconut Shampoo. This spring, choose care that brings you joy beyond labels. Pick up new favorites at a Target near you or online at Target.com. And now it's time for our favorite segment of the week. Keep it. We're going to start with Lewis for once this week. Okay. This is strange. Uh, There's going to be an Elton John Grammy tribute concert coming up since he's retiring. Obviously, Lady Gaga is performing your song because there's not a year in human history where she doesn't cover that. So she'll be doing that. I was told that Lady Gaga was covering your song by a friend, by the way. And I thought he meant... She was covering the Rita Ora song called Your Song. And you wept. I was very disappointed when I found out it was the Elton John song. Right. I feel like she's sung it 70 times already. No, I think most of the time she's just speaking the lyrics to your song at this point. But uh, I've seen snippets from this concert coming up, and there's a mysterious duet 
between Sean Mendez and SZA on an old jam called Don't Go Breaking My Heart. Let me say something about Sean Mendez, who gets a lot of credit in the gay community for being adorbs. He has both kind of an effeminate voice and a gritty voice, so that like questioning teens and adults who are sure are both into him. <laughs> so he's got a lot of cred. This is a truly gay song, and in the snippet I saw, he sort of does his like giggly, kind of perky singing. It is not gay enough. If you're going to cover this song, you got to be Brady Bunch level amped, perky, cokey, basically. And so I'm not interested in this laid back 19 year old teen version. Next time you do this, you little tongue depressor with biceps. <laughs> I want some homo-ass action on those tracks. <laughs> Have you listened to that song recently in the car? Your legs will be on the ceiling. <laughs> it's a jam, everybody. SZA looks great. Wow. That was a local reporter from Select <laughs> Magazine uh, who popped in from 1996 with their music <laughs> critique. Subscribe to my zine. <laughs> Kara. Oh, man. I am never starting with Lewis right, again. Right, exactly. <laughs> So my keep it this week is Kathy Griffin, who sort of fell off for a minute when she did that insane Donald Trump severed head thing. And she's back. She's going on tour. This bitch sold out Carnegie Hall in like a day. Yet she is still in interviews going on. She's like, I hope no one has to go through the nightmare that I went through when, you know, everyone got mad at me over that. And I had completely forgotten that happened. Clearly, your career, you've bounced back mostly. And, like, nobody who had, like, basic media literacy believed that, like, Barron thought that his dad had been beheaded. Like, that was obviously a lie. No one sane really gave a shit about that story. And I wish she would just stop acting like a victim and just shut up and go on tour, girl. Take your money. You're fine. It was wildly misreported that her career was over. That made no right. sense at the time. I will say... To be fair, the, she released like a video that made it seem like ISIS was holding her captive. Uh, right. <laughs> that, mind you, the Trump, whatever that is, that she was investigated by the Department of Justice or whatever, I'm sure that was a little zany But you thing. get that if you tweeted a death threat at the president, you get... Like, it's... Not to say that I tweeted a joke about the press secretary and the White House tried to get me fired. So it happened. The idea that she was in any serious danger from that is not true. You're doing fine. Shut up. People only remember because you keep running your mouth about it. Nobody remembers this. We've had girl. Have you been paying attention? Every day is a crisis. Every day is something insane. We don't remember your weird, bad prank a year ago. Kathy Griffin's like that. Um. Like some character from season one of Scandal <laughs> popping up now before the finale being like, I've got a grievance with you, Olivia Pope. And it's like, you know what? This bitch has been kidnapped. <laughs> she has run B613. Um, she, does not, she does not have time for this girl whose husband cheated on her and tried to frame her for murder or something <laughs> from season one. Kathy, like, get over it. Kathy is like a Madonna-level business lady. I mean, like, she pulls in that coin. So, She's I mean, fine. Yeah. Exactly. Like, you're fine. But you're also fine. a Madonna-level harping on things when we're all yeah. ready to move on. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We're done. Keep it. Bye. Go make out with go, Drake. Go make your money. <laughs> My Keep It This Week involves um, America's favorite news anchor, Laura Ingraham. Oh. I love news and getting it from her. Right? Host of the Ingraham Angle, which I don't know what that even Almost means. a pun? It, it, kind a, of. A stray person definitely thought of it. It seems like it should make sense, but. The Ingraham Angle. Anyway, she is crazed and usually pushing like bigoted rhetoric on her show. But lately, she decided to run afoul of the Parkland survivors as all of the conservatives are sort of dancing with on Fox News. Like, they've all branded, like, David Hogg and Emma Gonzalez as enemies of the state. Well, um, after but, all, they are traumatized survivors of a shooting, so they're clearly <laughs> out to get us. But they're all towing the line on how much they can sort of go after teenagers um, who aren't quite 18 yet, you know? David Hogg is not a boy, not yet a man. But... Recently, David was talking about the fact that he 
did not get into some of the colleges that he wanted to, specifically didn't get into UCLA, even with like a 4.1 Traffic is GPA. terrible there. Don't worry about it. You know, ignoring the fact that like he applied before all of this happened, and I'm sure UCLA saw that tweet and was like, oh no, please, yeah. come in. <laughs> Laura decided to jump out the fucking window and tweet making fun of him for not getting into the colleges that he wanted to. So you're already deciding to harass survivors of gun violence. Now you want to make fun of him for not getting into college. And to David's credit, he responded simply by listing every advertiser on her show and being like, what's up? Yeah, children of the corn, you're going to the (laughs) cornfield, honey. Bye. Advertisers started bailing her (laughs) show swiftly. It was like the Titanic. These teens are savages. They are coming for adults and ruining their entire lives in one sentence tweets. I mean, like I was never, I don't really interact with a lot of teenagers anyway. I wasn't planning on like messing with a teenager, but I will never, I'm afraid to talk to them because these kids are brutal. I'm afraid of teenagers in general. They will drag the shit out of you, fuck up your career, like these kids from their couch. While eating their Takis. Right, like they just. So my official keep it is the fact that People like Brian Seltzerwater um, are going on CNN and being like, is it going a step too far to get advertisers to boycott a TV journalist over their opinions and wondering what sort of dangerous precedent this could set? And I find this all to be fucking nonsense. But we should all politely let her thrive. Also, you know what a free market is? Like, advertisers can decide who they want to advertise with, and people can bring things to their attention, as they do all the time. People are tweeting at companies all the time, and they decide what they care about, what they want to support. Like, that's just how it works. Maybe you should just be better. First of all, Trump supporters, like, fake boycott things every other week, (laughs) and nobody complains about them doing that. Trump basically tweets at people not to support things they try and get liberal journalists like fired all the time just for like innocuous tweets so it's wild that all of a sudden we care about this just you know because one of he's a they're they're all like oh my god when am i gonna say something stupid and maybe bigoted and like harass a child just because ula from the producers you know decided to (laughs) upset david hogg and her advertisers have had enough you know and What's great is that I remember when Jamel Hill was talking about how you could take on ESPN and the NFL, and the way to do it is through advertisers. you got to fuck up with people's checks, you know? And I think that people are always being like, what's the right way to protest? You know, can we protest by getting rid of people's ads? And I think this is exactly the right way to protest. The reason that Fox News and these people who don't even classify themselves as journalists, they're just like opinion commentators, get to spew hatred and bigotry every week is because people give them money through advertising and keep them on the air. And when you flip the script on them like this, this is how you beat people like that. I mean, you got people coming out who don't even advertise with her saying that I ain't got nothing to do with her. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you know, we saw with things like bus boycotts that that just doesn't work. <laughs> that doesn't change history. Like, what are you talking about? Can I do a slight keep it to uh, uh, the left side of this equation, which is I hate Laura. Hate I have always. I'm a little sick of seeing that gif of her allegedly giving a Nazi salute at the RNC or whatever. No, she's not. She's just a creepy person waving. Just let that let that go. <laughs> her arms don't function. Yeah, right. <laughs> she's not used to human interactions. Waving is new to her, okay? It looks a little Nazi-ish. Fair. <laughs> See, both sides. I did it. <laughs> Joining me now is comedian and host of the LGBTQ podcast, Query, Cameron Esposito. I am here with Cameron Esposito, comedian and host of a new podcast called Query. 
yeah. a returned podcast. Well, yeah, it's still pretty new. It came out this summer. Okay. Um, but we had to go on hiatus for a little bit because our then our old network had a change in ownership and, and et cetera. So now we're relaunching on okay. Earwolf. But the show's called Query, and mm-hmm. you should be getting an invitation. I did get an invite. To be on it. Um, yeah. But it's a 60-minute conversation between queer folks. So, like, mm-hmm. I'm hosting it, and I'm talking to a person. But it's not really an interview in the way that I come in with, like, a bunch of questions that I'm trying yeah. to hit about that person's current projects. Mm-hmm. It's much more like, I think for queer folks, we are so often interviewed or put in a context in the media mm-hmm. against straight folks. So it's like, I think there's absolutely a place for Terry Gross to ask questions of Lena Waithe about what butch identity is. Yeah. Like, I think that's fine. We do need that. But I, I also think that we've never had the opportunity to get beyond that, where it's like in a conversation where I might know some of the words that you're talking about. And mm-hmm. so we're getting to like the next level of questions. Like, for instance, that our coming out stories aren't what we're constantly being framed by. Of course, yeah. No, I get that. You know, it's interesting when you always see interviews with, if a celebrity is out, you know, the, the conversation still revolves around, you know, like, how are you dealing with being gay in yeah. 2018? And it's always the sort of, I don't know, I'm dealing with it, how I dealt with it in 2017. I find that sometimes even that question is missing and that a lot of times it's, what's your coming out story? And then like the next question will be, how did your parents take it? Mm-hmm. Which is a very interesting, you know, if you think about it, that immediately puts queerness as somebody else's experience. So yeah. it's like your parents' experience of your queerness is mm-hmm. what I'm asking you about. Not you. I'm not asking you about you. And again, I think those are good conversations to have, but it's never framed the other mm-hmm. way, where it's like, when you came out, what was that experience like for you? What had you been sitting on mm-hmm. that you weren't telling people? How much relief did you feel? You know, like those questions, framing it yeah. with our stories first. You know, that's sort of why I feel like Call Me By Your Name came and went this mm. year without much fanfare. Just because I feel like there was so much fanfare. In so the maybe I just had a. In oh, the beginning, I yes. feel like there okay. was. No, tell me, yes. Um, just because I feel like the film is one of the first gay films that sort of, it's a coming out story for him, but, you know, it's not really framed in how his parents react to it at all. You don't even hear what his dad thinks until the end of the movie. You know, it's really just sort of about his experience. And I feel like so many gay films or TV shows are about writing around the gay person. You know, like how people react to it yeah like do you mean you think it's it was like almost too gay yeah for it to stay yeah well that and like the film carol you know too gay (laughs) way um you know like carol she was just she was living her life basically and there wasn't a huge focus on coming out to other people we jumped right into her already being a lesbian carol is one of my favorite movies of all time what I what I also love about those movies that you're talking about, Carol is also made. There are queer people involved in the creation of that. So not just as the book, the source material, The Price of Salt, written by Patricia Highsmith, who is living that life in that time when that story takes place, but also Phyllis Nagy, who wrote the screenplay, is gay, and also Todd Haynes, who directed it, is gay. Yeah. So it's when we're involved in our stories, full stop, they tend to be more complex and more yeah. and more centered on us. So then, yeah, again, that's the reason that I was like, well, I don't really see this in the podcast space. Like, I don't see uh, mm-hmm. like the equivalent of WTF with Mark Maron, yeah. but this is a conversation between queer mm-hmm. folks. And we and I had some amazing folks on, like Tegan and Sarah were on separately, separate mm-hmm. episodes, and Evan Rachel Wood was They've on. They've been on Keep It. Yeah, they're great. And who else? Jill Soloway and just great people mm-hmm. having uh, real long chats about identity. Because it makes it a little less, I guess, voyeuristic. Yeah. There's that sort of quality to interviews or to other films that aren't made, I guess, by queer people because it feels like they're trying to find a way in and they're peering in. So I guess it doesn't feel as authentic. I think that's real. And then I also think that when it's somebody outside of the community making something, like the issues that they want to talk about, for instance, parental reaction, which mm-hmm. is a part of our lives, but isn't the like, sole 
burning desire of my yeah of my existence on earth um is to be accepted by my parents like that's not really it it's more to find love and things yeah. like that to be my own person i also think that when we look at how like a straight person would frame us for instance it's like mm-hmm. our fights are about like bathroom laws mm-hmm. and our fights are about like the church or something like that and i think in our community it's like there's so much interesting stuff going on mm-hmm. because the gay civil rights movement happens so fast yeah. that there are these micro generations mm-hmm. where like i don't know how old you are how 31 old are you? 31 so i'm 36 mm-hmm. so we are like three gay generations apart yeah <laughs> even though we are five human years apart yeah. we're like all of the because if for instance the year that i graduated college the same week that i graduated college massachusetts where i lived at the time became the first state to legalize same-sex marriage okay. so i graduated from college that week i could get married and being an adult like entering into adulthood which is what college graduation sort of signifies mm-hmm. i was able to enter into adulthood as somebody who could get married if i was a year older than i am that would not have been true like i yeah. would have entered adulthood as somebody who couldn't legally get married and so we have all of these different identities going on in our community like let alone what's happening for folks based on race or where they fall in terms of a spectrum of gender or all the other things like it is so fascinating because our community doesn't use the same words to describe ourselves like we don't there are no universally accepted terms there are no universally accepted pronouns (laughs) sometimes we're talking about sexuality sometimes we're talking about gender sometimes we're talking about sex Mm -hmm. all of this is going on within the community and if you're not somebody who's in the community you might think it's like what we care about the most is you know Mm -hmm. whether or not donald trump is holding our flag and like that's not (laughs) what we care about like what we care about is like hey can we agree on like some words so at least we can have a conversation. Like, what words do you use? What words do I use? Like, it's such an interesting time in our community. And I feel like those words are still what bumps some people, you know, because a few weeks ago there was that W Magazine interview with Lee Pace, who was asked about being in Angels in America. He was going at length about how gay actors should play gay roles. And, like, he loves, like, the state of, like, what we're in now. And he told interviewer Brian Moreland, you know, that he's dated men and he's dated women, but he still found the concept of being asked if he was gay intrusive in the interview. Wow. That's what he said, you know, which is, which was very weird to establish that you, I mean, but there are a million different ways to describe someone who sleeps with men and women besides just bi, I guess. Um, Yeah. But it's weird, you know, I think that we need to be having these conversations about language. I don't know. Absolutely. Well, I mean, it's I, still hard. For, yeah, there are there are freedom. people who use different terms than I do, and so I'm always like, I don't know. How do you describe yourself? So, just say gay. You know, sometimes when I write, I use the word queer, just because I feel like that's become the new way that, like, you know, like as an internet writer, like writing about projects, you know, just to sort of encompass everyone. Mm-hmm. I absolutely agree with you. I mean, I still use the words gay and I use the word lesbian to describe mm-hmm. myself. But I think that queer is more useful, like, for instance, somewhere on Twitter. Yeah. And then I also use queer woman a lot. Mm-hmm. But then it's like my understanding of what a woman is is evolving. So we're just living in this very shifty time and that's really interesting and rad. And you know who else could like benefit from hearing these conversations are people that think of themselves as like very structurally straight, Mm -hmm. very cisgendered, like folks who have like these strict boundaries around their words and around how they identify. Those are the folks that like their identity is shattered if they find somebody of the same sex attractive, as Mm -hmm. opposed to like, if we can all be a little bit more malleable, then we don't have to be so afraid when our words don't seem to be true in this moment. Mm -hmm. Like if I'm, I say I'm like this hardcore lesbian, but it's not like I don't understand that men are attractive mm-hmm. and also like there are trans people. Mm-hmm. So like what it used to mean to be a lesbian, like the agreed upon definition of what that meant in terms of like the type of body that you were attracted to, mm-hmm. like that's very different now. Yeah. So it's a really interesting time and I love talking about it. And I think, like I said, if we're not included in the conversation, it just gets really simplified and really mm-hmm. like solidified. And what I love is the expansiveness of it because I think it frees all of us to have better lives. Cameron, uh, tell the Keep It listeners how to find your show, yeah. how to listen to it. Query is available 
wherever you get your podcasts. So like Apple Podcasts, it's also available um, through earwolf.com. And you can find me on at Cameron Esposito on all social medias. And I'm also a stand-up comic. We didn't even talk about that. Oh, that's right. So you can also see me do stand-up comedy. I yeah. tour around the country. You were doing. funny enough here today. I think they know. I'm so charming. <laughs> it's obvious. Implied. Stand-up implied. Thank you for being yeah, here. Yeah, thank you, Eric. Thanks again to Anna Marie Cox, Cameron Esposito for joining us today. That was Keep It. We'll see you next week. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made In Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made In. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made In Cookware. Shop chef-quality pots and pans at madeincookware.com. When it comes to scents, you should pick ones that smell like, well, you. Target gets it, which is why they offer a range of personal care products with fragrances for everyone. Be true to floral you with Dove Peony and Rose Body Wash. Live your fresh life with Degree Ultra Clear Deodorant. Express your decadent side with Love Beauty and Planet Coconut Shampoo. This spring, choose care that brings you joy beyond labels. Pick up new favorites at a Target near you or online at Target.com.